once you get yourself into a negative state, you're much more likely to attract more negativity into your life. Because if you can't appreciate the positives, then why would those be reflected back to you? Because if you look at just from a psychology point of view, or from a physiology point of view, or anything that's, let's say, science-based more, right? Look, look at what happens. You and I both know the example. I think we talked about this. If you think about a red car, because you want to buy a red car, when you go out on the street, that's all you're going to see. You're going to see a red car here, a red car here, a red car there. And that's the power of your focus. Where you put your focus, that's where your subconscious mind will, and with your conscious mind, will try to make that a reality for you. So if you focus on the negativity and say, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe life is so unfair. I can't believe this, this, and that. You're telling your brain to bring more of that because that's what you're asking. That's what you're talking about. But if you focus on the positive, that's more of what's going to come back into your life. Hello, hello, everyone. We have with us today, Constantine Maroon from the Unleash Yourself podcast and... Eric Cloward from the Stoic Coffee Break podcast. And we're about to have a beautiful conversation around many, many amazing topics that are important in today's day and age. And one that's very dear to my heart. And for those that are able to see this in video format, I have a sign to my right here that says, follow your heart. And what that really means to me is essentially not just following what's in your heart, but starting with knowing what's in there and allowing it to come up. And I also equal that to finding your why, finding your purpose, finding what it is that you want to be doing and then pursuing it like that's the last thing you'll do in your life so that you can ideally find joy, fulfillment, success, abundance, and whatnot. And I know, Eric, you and I had a beautiful conversation last week on this topic and so many others. So I, I thought, why not start there? Maybe we'll, t- we'll start with you and say, well, how has your journey led to this point? And how are you seeing this idea of potentially following your heart further down whatever paths you decide to go on? Yeah. So the last uh, year for me has been, wow. I mean, actually, yeah, basically the last two years, but especially this last year has been uh, massive amounts of changes. So I'm currently in Florida right now and I don't have a house and I don't have a car and I got rid of most of my possessions. I have some things in my brother's place, uh, bicycle, keyboard, guitar, some clothes, old yearbooks, pictures, those kind of things but just a few bins over there. And what I have with me is a, a checked baggage, a carry on bag and my backpack. And that's all that I have. And it feels very freeing to be in this situation. One of the things that I did find interesting was that even though I've gotten rid of all of this stuff, my level of happiness, levels of anxiety that a part of everyday life haven't changed much from when I did own a house and I did have all of these things. And so I was talking the other day with, uh, so I'm staying with my friend Shauna here in Florida and we're talking to a good friend of hers who is just went through a really, really nasty divorce. And her ex was talking about, she was telling me about how he is always looking for things outside of himself to find his happiness. You know, he, he, bought this new big truck, you know, that that he was hoping, you know, so we could be like, I'm, you know, this big manly man kind of thing. And all of these things that he does, and he's so miserable and he, he tries so hard to have all of these things outside of him to make him happy. And, you know, he's always, you know, he goes out of his way to make other people unhappy thinking that 
by diminishing their happiness, it will make him somehow happier and have control over them. And it was just fascinating because, you know, as I was talking to this gal and I just mentioned how, you know, the external doesn't necessarily change the internal. It can be helpful for sure if you're in a really bad situation, like if you're in a war zone and you get out of a war zone, that can be incredibly healing for sure. But for the most part, so much of our external doesn't change our internal. So I'm just as happy as I was before. I have just as much anxiety about what I'm going to do with my life as I did before. But I definitely feel a bit freer because I don't have all of these things that I have to worry about. And that right there has been been really, really good for me and very healthy for me. Um, but I still, like I said, I still worry about what I'm going to do with my future and where I'm going to go. So I'm, yeah. I'll be flying out to Amsterdam next week, which will be very Sorry. interesting and uh, very exciting. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to move this mic here. So I, there we go. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but I think on, for the most part, uh, yeah, this next few months are going to be very much about discovery and trying to figure out what I can do and what I want to do with my life. Yeah, that's a beautiful spot to be in if you, if you can be there. And the story you shared from your friend and the discussion you had, that resonated so deeply with me because honestly, that described me a few years back before I really made a decision and said, well, I need to understand why this brings me joy, happiness, fulfillment. Because like that person you described, I tried all the external things, shiny toys, hanging out with the wrong people, doing the wrong activities. And I say wrong because they're wrong for me, not necessarily because they weren't good activities. And the putting down of other people. And what I have found that's very interesting there in all that process, Eric, is that it's usually like what you do to others and how you perceive others. It's a big reflection of who you are internally. And perhaps in his case, it was about putting people down so he can feel better about himself. But that also can tell me and based on what I know now is that likely he was putting himself down internally because I was doing the same thing and I come from a place where like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's what I was doing. I was putting myself down and I thought that's normal, which meant that why would I be doing anything else to other people? Uh, to me, that's normal. I put you down, I'll make you small because I make my sm- myself small all the time. And for me, the biggest catalyst, the biggest change was realizing that I was living a life that pretty much everyone else painted for me in a way. They're like, this is what you should do. This is what's going to bring you happiness. It's going to bring you money. This is what's going to bring you success, blah, 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 fill in the blanks. And it wasn't until I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? That's what happened. I lived someone else's life. Let's actually take a step back. I want us constant in want. And that process took a while for me because I wanted it myself with my own knowledge, following books, following podcasts. And eventually I came to the other side and I said, oh, shit, yeah, yeah, this is my, this is my, passion this is my why this is my purpose and since that day everything became more clear like in your case nothing changed overnight it's still a process it took me in fact six months to really do something about it but then once i took that action so i went from like awareness i became aware of what it is because i did the work to action that's when everything changed that's when my i came out of depression and moved on the other side that's when i my anxiety reduced to the point where it's mostly gone now. That's where burnout pretty much started to be eliminated. And all these things started happening in, in our lives when 
we align ourselves more with who we are. And that's what I found for my own life, the people I'm fortunate enough to, to coach and mentor and other people in my life that, that I've seen go on similar paths. And it sounds like you're on the path, Eric, right now where you have left behind the things that you don't need anymore, that don't serve you anymore. And now you get to pave a new path and finding out what really makes you tick. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting path for sure. There's so many roads and, and things I can take. Uh, as most of you know, I've been in tech, for, or at least my listeners, I've been in tech for 24 years, and that was something that I fell into. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted to go into. It's just more of, I was just stumbled into it, found I was good at it. And as people kept paying me more and more money to do it, it was like, okay, I'll, I'll keep doing this. And um you know, not the worst thing in the world, but but realizing that it's probably not ever really been my passion. So I wasn't one of these people who came home from work or finished up work and then jumped on a you know my own projects or jumped on an open source project to work on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like I would find it interesting and I would read up on new technologies and I would find those things. But I found that that it just wasn't, I just wasn't one of those super geeks that, that loved, you know, sitting down and programming all day. I mean, I, I did it for work and for yeah, me, yeah. what I found, yeah, what I found was that I love creating and that was really important. Uh, so having, uh, having a job where I was creative and I always need to be creative with everything I do is really important to me. I need to create things for other people, whether that's podcast, whether that's writing a screenplay, which I did one time uh, about 25 years ago, mm. uh, for a competition. I thought I wanted to be a screenplayer, a screenwriter at one time. Uh, I've written music. So in fact, the, the theme for my podcast, if you listen to it, that piano theme, I wrote that it's actually a much longer composition and I took a piece out of that. So for me, it's, it's all about creating things and what I'm going to create next. I'm not sure. And, you know, I, I definitely have lots of ideas, which makes it challenging to winnow those down and to, to really pick on those things. And I wish, well, I guess I don't wish, but for me, it's, it's a place of discovery. And so that's, that's always exciting. I, I like to explore as so I like to discover things. So I don't have a problem with getting out there, trying to discover these things. I know a lot of people want all the answers now and they want to know exactly what they should be doing. And I've, over the last few weeks, I've been struggling with that. I have these moments of, of kind of almost panic or a little bit of anxiety of like, crap, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be working on music? Am I supposed to focus more on my podcast? Am I supposed to write a book? What is it that I need to be doing? And because I don't have an answer for that right now, there's there's quite a bit of anxiety. And, you know, I like text my friends. I'm like, ah, am I making the, making the right choices? And they're just like, you're on a good path. Just follow this path out and see where you can go and where you can get to. And so I sat down last week, I think it was, and read The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. That's something I'd like to do every now and then because it reminds me of remembering that you need to follow the path through and do your best in every situation. And what was there was something I was reading where uh, no, it was actually a uh, oh, what's his name uh, Josh Terry on uh, Instagram. I don't know if you've ever seen him. It says his Instagram thing is Josh Terry plays or something like that, but he, he gives inspirational videos. And I really liked one the other day where he said, there are two different ways of following a path in this world or of, of finding your purpose in this world. One of them is to have a clear vision of where it is. And then you 
you create a plan and you work relentlessly towards that vision. And plenty of people do this and they, they mold their circumstances themselves around to try and reach that goal. And then there's the other side, which is, excuse me, which is where you live in each moment the very, very best you can. And you make a choice in that moment. Do I want to go this way or do I want to go that way? You try one of those and you see how it fits. You do your best in that situation. And if it works for you, you continue on down that path. If not, you take some steps back and then you change your path a little bit and then you try the next thing. And again, but each moment you are trying to live that moment most excellently as possible. And he said, either one is fine, but knowing how you work with things might be a better, might suit you better. And for me, I recognize that I'm definitely more of the latter. I'm more of that person who gets in, experiences it, tries it, and then see if I like it, see if it works for me. If it doesn't, then take some steps back. I've never had this grand vision of what my life should be. And I've been a much more of a, an experiencer of life, but it's hard sometimes to recognize that it's okay to be an experiencer of life. I don't have to have the grand plan, especially in a world where they're always telling you, oh, you have to plan your goals. You have to have these big plans to do all of these things. And you have, you know, in order for you to reach your goals, you have to, you know, make smart goals and all of these different things with that. And I think that's true, but I think that not everybody works that way. And I, I, I oftentimes feel like I'm very disorganized in my life because I don't, you know, I'm not a project manager. I don't plan things out in a big old project uh, per se, but I'm able to manage things pretty well and get things done. I mean, I, I, my friend Lisa pointed out that I cleared a six bedroom, 3,800 square foot house in just a few months when I was selling my house and got rid of all of this stuff that I'd accumulated for over, you know, 13 years. So it was, you know, it was definitely doable. And I'm definitely reasonably good at planning like that, but I don't feel like I'm a good planner like that because I don't have like a long-term vision of like in five years, I'm going to be here in 10 years, I'm going to be doing this. You know, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing in three months. So but here's the funny thing though, right? The definition of a planner that you might be using is someone else's definition. And that's what I have found on this journey as well is that we tend to jump on definitions that other people make for things. That's fine, right? Because you got to start somewhere. But at one point we have to take control and say, well, what's my definition? Do I feel like I am a planner? And like you said, you gave a good example as to why you are one. Maybe you're not one by the standard definition or the definition of those that you have had in your life as people to follow. And that's always interesting to look at because everything can be looked at the same way. And you talked about this as well, about being okay with the unknown, one of the biggest fears, if you talk from a psychology point of view, one of the biggest fears that people have in life is the fear of the unknown. And there's a good reason behind it when you look at how we evolved as human beings, right? And the unknown is what could kill you. And in many cases, it did back, you know, 100 years plus. So fear of the unknown is something that most people are innately afraid of. And then that gets built up with our society and whatnot. So it's beautiful to see that when we can be a bit more liberated and say, you know what, I've been okay till now, I've, I've made it to here. Let's allow some unknown to pour in. It's like, I, I know I want to, like in your case, for example, explore music, or in my case, explore public speaking. Not be so rigid on how that's going to happen because that's when you miss out on opportunities. And that's how I was, by the way, because I'm a project manager at heart. I have the certifications. I had to like, oh, I want to public speak. This is exactly how it's going to happen. And when you do that, you're essentially, it's almost like you're swimming upstream 
or you're swimming against a tide, you may get there because you're working really hard, but it's going to cost you, meaning your health, your mental health, your emotional health, all those things may come into play and some will not make it. Or you can allow a bit of the unknown to come in and they will show you a path. It's like, oh, if you go left here a bit, it's going to be less current. Then if you go right, it's going to be even less, right? So all of a sudden you see opportunities, you see new experiences, new people come into your life to guide you. And the, the end goal is like so much more beautiful. And that's been very, very hard for me to do. And it sounds like maybe a bit for you as well, but for me as uh, someone with a mathematics degree, being analytical, trusting in anything other than my brain has been difficult. But once I start doing it, it's so much more liberating and so much more powerful. Mm -hmm. What's been the most interesting surprise that is that's come about or opportunity that's come about when you've been less analytical? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's an amazing question. And so one of the things that I've come to learn, this is the last six months maybe, is that I've always had an intuitive sense what it's like, it's not coming from here. It's coming from somewhere below, right? From your heart, from your gut. People call it gut feeling, intuition, inspiration. And the more I get out of my head, meaning that I don't jump on a conclusion or use my analytical mind through meditation, through other practices, I have these, I wouldn't call them voices, but inspiration coming up. And when I listen to it, it seems to be guiding me on a good path. When I don't listen to it, I'm reminded, well, you probably should have listened. And I'll give you a silly example. Over the holidays, I wanted to buy some new couches off of Facebook Marketplace. I find some I liked. Go to buy. I have a chat with the person. Everything seems all right. And in the past, if I didn't jump on a sale on Facebook Marketplace, they would sell pretty quickly. So we arranged to do a deposit of $50. So not a huge amount. As I sit down at the computer to do the transfer, to put a deposit so I can pick the market the next day, I literally have this gut feeling that something is not right. Literally, I'm like, this, this seems off. I look at their profile a bit. I see that they have some items listed in literally in Canada and one in the US and one across from what I was in Canada. I'm like, that's odd. But instead of asking them any questions, I continue to look. I saw a couple more things that seemed off. But I'm like, you know what? I really want these couches. I'm just going to send the money. But the entire time I had the feeling that this was off, this is not good. As soon as I send the money, and this is the way you, when you send the money, you cannot get it back. You're pretty much mm -hmm. out of luck. Yeah. Then I get up. I remember going upstairs, telling my, my parents and my partner, it's like, you know what? I feel like this was a mistake, but let's sit with it. And of course, the next day comes up, I get ghosted and you know I never see the couches. And that's a great prime example where like, I'm just using... I would even say my analytical mind because even my analytical mind could have seen this coming, but more like letting emotions get the best of it because it's like, oh, I really want this. Yeah. And not listening to the voice. And I've had that happen a lot more, but now because I'm getting out of my head, meaning that I'm not allowing my head to jump in as much, finding that balance, I get to hear that voice a lot more often. And it, it may show up as a feeling, it may show up as a something, you know, like a hormonal imbalance maybe. I don't even know. It's very hard for me to explain even though... <laughs> I look at it from a psychological and from a, I don't know, let's say science background. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that same thing happen to me before. So I get you. And as soon as I sent the money, it was like, wait a second. That was, ah, yeah, that was yeah. a bad idea. And I knew that I knew that I didn't want it, but I was so excited about the thing that I didn't, I didn't exactly. take that moment to pause and go, how does this feel? Does this feel right? No. Yeah. And so, there's a thing that uh, people talk about, 
and it took me a while to really grasp, which is they say you can look at life as things happening to you, right? My car broke down. This person broke up with me. This experience was not good or good, whatever you want to label it. Or there's the other side we can say, this is happening for me, meaning that, okay, I gave the money away. I lost it. I could play the victim and be like, oh, I can't believe I got swindled. I can't believe these people did this to me, blah, 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 right? And you become the victim and you beat yourself up and a lot of things happen there. Or you can say this happens for me, meaning it's like, okay, what lesson can I take out of this? Yeah. What can I learn? And why did this happen to me? And for me, looking back at that, it's like, well, perhaps that lesson in my life came because it reminded me that, hey, you have another way to not just use your analytical mind or your emotions to make decisions. You have another way. It was shown to you. You didn't want to respect that. Well, here's what happens. So that's a piece of a lesson. The other lesson could be is I don't trust people so easily. Do your due diligence. At the very least, ask them some questions. Hey, why do you have, you know, three listings all in different places in the world type stuff, right? So that's a big, a big, big, big lesson for me in, in the last few years. It's like how you look at life. Are you the victim so you look on the negative side or are you, is this happening for you and you look on the positive side? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, think of it as a $50 lesson that you learned. And Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that was the price you had to pay to learn that lesson. Yeah, I think that's a much better way to look at it is, yep, I had to pay a price for this, but if I don't learn that lesson, then I wasted my money. Whereas now you you had that $50 and you gave it away and you learned a good lesson from that. It's like, okay. I can learn something from this. Yeah, that's very, right. very true. Right. Yeah, the Stoics are are very big on making sure that we we're able to take that step back and look at things in that and be able to analyze them that way. But it takes that self awareness, which I think is is very, very challenging. It takes a lot of work. It also takes a bunch of humility because it's it's much easier to play the victim. It's much easier to be like, ah. Oh, like you said, you know, the world happens, things happen to you. And I actually did a podcast episode called that to you or for you a while back. And it was all about that. It's like, is life happening to you or is it happening for you? And the thing is, is that life just happens and your choice on that, whether it's you decide is good or bad, it's, that's your choice. You can say that this was the worst thing that ever happened to me, or you can say, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. You can have no opinion on it. You can just be like, this is what's happening to me. And you have to accept it because it is what is happening to you. But your judgment on that and how you perceive it and how you let it affect you, that's always your choice. You know, when something, yeah. And that's really hard for a lot of people because they'd be like, oh, this horrible thing happened to me. That's why I feel this way. And it's like, no, this thing happened to you. You made a decision that it's a horrible thing. And so you are acting like a horrible thing happened to you. And maybe it was something that was hard. Maybe you were in a car accident and you're in a lot of pain. But you, the more that you, your perspective on it adds even another layer of misery onto it if you do it that way. Because, I mean, there are plenty of people who have good things happen to them and they're still miserable about it. I was listening to uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast with uh, Morgan Housel, who's a financial guy. He wrote, he writes about the psychology of finance and stuff like that. And he was talking about, um, Back in the 60s, there was an interview with like the richest man at the time. I, I, I cannot remember his name at all because uh, I'd never heard it before this point. But he saw this documentary on this guy and it they showed him and he was like the richest man of the world at the time. And he was one of the most unhappy people that this guy had seen. And, and, and 
they asked him, they said, you know, what you have, you can get anything that you want in life. What, what do you want most in life? He's like, I want to be someone who's happier than me. And he didn't know how to do that. Like he had all of this money, all of these things, but he had this perspective on things that even with all of this money, he was still miserable like that because of his perspective, because of the way he was viewing the world. And it was really, it was really interesting to see that, you know, cause like they say, money simply magnifies who you are. And so if you're a miserable person to begin with, you just often will make you more miserable. Your circumstance. Yeah. So I your circumstance. I'll give you an example. I mean, it's happened over the weekend. I'm still pondering over it. And I'm curious to see your take on it, whether it's stoic background and what you've gone through life. And this is pretty much on theme right here with like life happening for me or to me. And also reminds me of how I would have reacted in the past. So I have a fairly new vehicle, a 2023 GMC Yukon. And in Canada, where I live right now, it's been literally snowing in the morning, freezing in the afternoon, raining in the evening. On this particular day, which was this past weekend, I get in the car to go to some a friend's house. And I get in the car, and as I begin to drive down the road, I hear some water pouring in the background. And I'm like, man, I hope that's not inside, and I hope that's on the outside. I didn't pay much attention to it. All of a sudden, I stop at a stoplight, and water starts pouring through the main console of the car, inside, all over the dashboard, everything else. Then I see water pouring all over my leather seats in the back. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe this is, this is a one-year-old car. I have like 10,000 miles on it. <laughs> and I remember in the moment I had this biggest amount and I'm like, huh. I, I did the, the old things that I would normally do. It's like, I was like, why does it happen to me now? Like I have such a busy week coming up. I don't have time to deal with this. It's the weekend. All those old narratives. But because I've done a bit of work, and I, by a bit, of, I mean quite a bit of work lately, I was like, huh, you know what? Those thoughts are not going to be conducive because I know the path they're going to take me down on. I was able to interrupt them. I was able to put our thoughts in and say, you know what? It's Saturday. This happened. There's a reason. We'll figure it out later. I have a night with, a night with friends coming up. I don't want to ruin that. So all I did is I got to my destination. Right? I wasn't thrilled about it, but I was like, whatever. I got out, messaged my friend, said, hey, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. I had some paper towel in the car, cleaned up the car. And between walking between where I parked and their apartment building, I practiced my tools on how to essentially interrupt those thought patterns and replace them with good ones. And for the rest of the night, I was able to ignore the situation completely, which my old me, I would have turned around and I would have tried to deal with the issue on a Saturday night been pissed off, called everyone I know to complain about, look, poor me, this happened to me. How can this happen? You know, I paid this much money for this car. Anyway, down the path. I had a conversation. I had, you know, five hours with my friends, got back down, left. More water was pouring. I'm like, okay, I'll deal with this on Monday. It's not a big deal. Practice my things. And another moment of realization came up. I was like, oh, let me call my parents or let me call a couple of friends and tell them what happened, right? So we can all sulk in the misery and be like, ah, you know, bad GMC or bad this and bad that. And then I realized, you know what? I'm not. Because there's no point in focusing on the negativity. There's no point in doing that. I'll take care of the problem like I always do, right? Looking back, I've taken care of everything I had come up in my life. And then it's going to be a fun story. And the beautiful part for me was that as I started meditating on this and when I got home, right, and the next day, I was like, okay, so why did this happen for me? 
And then it poured in. It's like, well, it becomes a great story to tell on a podcast like we're doing now. It's the first time I share this. It can become a great story when I go and public speak about how my old self would react and lead life and how my new self is doing it. There could be many other reasons that I haven't figured out yet. But we can always look at the positive. And of course, Monday came, I went to the dealership. They're like, yeah, that's a pretty big issue. We'll take care of it. Come back in a few days. We'll get you in right away and we'll get it fixed. Right. And it took, a, what, an hour of my time to get the dealership and back. They'll give me a rental car when I take the car in. It'll be fine. It's not a big deal. It's just a car. And like you talked earlier about, like, they're just things. They're not going to really do much other than amplify your situation. And that's been my experience. And when I sat with that, and I still see with it every day in meditation, the more I do that, the more I realize, wow, if this was five years ago, I don't even know how ballistic I would have went, right? Like I would have been aggressive with the people at the dealership maybe, and I would have been crying at everyone that would listen. And it would derail my entire week, right? Because they're in that negative mindset that it's not going to lead you to anything positive. Because you and I talked about last week how your thoughts lead to your feelings, lead to your actions, lead to your results. So my thoughts all negative, negative feelings, which amplify more negative thoughts, then my actions are not going to be positive. And then my results are going to be exactly what you'd expect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's a great story. I, uh, and obviously a, a great learning example for sure. And one thing you mentioned in there, which I really, uh, I hadn't quite thought about it this way, but that you talked about how you didn't want to complain because you didn't want to suck people into the misery and you'd all feel crappy about that. And I'd never quite thought of it that way because oftentimes, you know, you feel like, you know, I need, I need to get this out. I just need to vent about this thing. And I think that in, in some cases that is important. You know, when something crappy does happen, you yes. want to be able to, you just want to go, ah, and let that out. Um, but I think that even then you need to be very careful about that. And the Stoics, you know, Marcus Aurelius, he talks in there, he's like, don't ever hear yourself complaining out loud, not even, not even in private, you know, <laughs> and it's that same thing. But I was, but I hadn't, I hadn't quite thought about it. Yeah. It's that whole thing of misery loves company. And a lot of times people will talk about all the miserable things that are happening to them because they want to pull people in. They want to have that people would feel sorry for them and they get that attention and stuff like that. And I've known, I've had plenty of friends and relatives and, and who've done that and it gets exhausting. And I hadn't realized that I, I hadn't really thought about it like that. So clearly the way you said that, you know, suck them into the misery. And I was like, Oh, that's really, that's very, very poignant. But I, I mean, think- for me, that was a, that was a, a fairly new realization. I'll be honest. I haven't considered it like that. And then I asked, okay, what would the purpose of me calling be other than to perpetuate misery? If it's like you said, if it's to get a second opinion, be like, hey, what should I do about this? What happened? There's a different purpose. But I knew in my in my mind and my heart and my body that the only reason I would call is to complain and be like, oh, how could this happen to me? Because I already knew what I was going to do. I mean, I had to take it to the dealership. It's under warranty. There's not really like I have 10 choices. I knew what had to be done, which meant I'm not going to call about opinions. I'm not going to call about anything else other than to complain. But there will be situations in which you find yourself where like something bad happens, like you said, and you do need those people in your corner. But then I guess we have to check ourselves and see, are we calling to really complain or are we calling to say, hey, this is what happened for me. It's not great. What is your opinion? What can I do? And then you kind of, brainstorm back and forth. Yeah. And I think that, I think that you can, in some instances with the right person, 
vent because sometimes you just need to let that frustration out. And and sometimes I've done that where I'm just like, ah, this is the thing that's going on, this and this and this and this and this. And okay, all done. And it's just like, it's letting that energy out, but letting that person know, hey, I need a second to vent here. This has nothing to do with you. This is not me dragging you down into the suck. This is me just I need to let this energy out because it's spinning around in my head. And once I say it out loud, I get that out. I think that's a very, very different approach because you're not necessarily complaining there. It's more of like you're almost factually explaining the situation out loud just so you can put your story together in your own mind. And I think that there's, I think that there's a big difference between that, between complaining and venting. And I think that, I think that can be very interesting. I had something similar like that happen to me a while back, not nearly as, as epic as that, but uh, I, I had scheduled to get my booster vaccine and my flu vaccine for this year and had it all scheduled out. And before I was going to it, I had a doctor's appointment and then I had an hour in between the doctor's appointment and when I was supposed to get my vaccine, but the vaccine was on the far side of, you know, it was, it was about 20 miles away. It was the only one I could get and I just wanted to get it done and out of the way. And so I finished up my doctor's appointment, walked to my car and I couldn't find my car keys. And I was like, what is going on here? And I look inside and they're sitting on my chair. Like, yes. great. So I had to call an Uber to come pick me up, take me home, get my spare car key, bring me back, drove all the way out there. I mean, just and barely made it in the nick of time. And it was at one o'clock and I said, okay, I'm here for my appointment. And they said, oh, I'm sorry. The software double booked you. Somebody's already taken that slot. We don't have vaccine for you today. And like, I was like, Ugh, and I was so mad. I'm like, what? you expect me to suffer because your system screwed up? This is, and I just stopped right there because I could feel myself getting so heated. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm acting out of line. I'm really sorry about that. I know there's nothing you can do about it. And I know it's not your fault. Have a good day. And then I turned around and I was walking down the aisle and I was just like, <sighs> and you know, one of the other people at the place was like, Hey, is, are you, is there anything I can help you with? And I was like, well, no, because this is what happened. I explained the situation really quick. And she was like, oh, I'm really sorry about that. That kind of, that sucks that you drove all the way out here for that. And I said, yeah, but I'll just get some chocolate and go home. So I, I got some chocolate, went across the street, grabbed some lunch because I could tell I was getting really hungry, which makes me a little bit moody and angry. So I was like, okay, and went and did that. But I was, I was very proud of myself because like you said, you know, five years ago, I'd have been snapping. I would have pulled a Karen. I would have been like, let me talk to your manager. This isn't fair. You know, and I would have tried that and nothing would have happened. And I would have just been angry and and pissy and moody that whole day, uh, you know, and it would have ruined my day when I just caught myself and was like, yep, there's nothing you can do about this. You're not doing this to be malicious. You're not doing this to be mean at all. You're simply doing your job. And there's simply the way the, the cards fall that day. It was like, okay. And so I just, let it go. And that for me was like, when I reflect on that later that day, I was like, yes, yes. And you know, pat myself on the back yes. because before, right. because before, like I said, a few years ago, I would have just been, you know, the claws would have come out. And so I was, but it, I mean, I, I was still slightly disappointed with myself because I still did get heated right at first, but I was glad that I was able to pull back quickly enough and be like, Hey, I know this isn't your fault. Have a nice day. And so I, I love the story, Eric. And what I like about that is your realization there that you were aware that that's not who you are. And looking back at myself doing that in the past, even though I'd realize I'd be like, I'll continue through with it. And you realize you stopped yourself. And that's the power of what we're talking about here because 
with all the work I've done, with what I work with my clients as well on essentially reprogramming their mind so it, it can do stuff like we just said on a consistent basis, it's not that negative thoughts will not come up. I mean, you still live in an environment that has a lot of negative stuff happening. They will come up, but now you have the tools. So first the awareness and then the second, the tools to stop that from getting anywhere big, right? So as you were through yourself, that, you know, that was a few months ago now, you, because you celebrate, because you reinforce it with your mind, likely if it happens again, you might not even get to the point where you blurt anything out. You might catch yourself before you even say anything else. And you walk away and say, thank you. You know, it happens. And you know, that, that's the power of repeating something that you want to instill within you because all those negative reactions like you and I had in the past, I mean, those are not just there all of a sudden. They were things that we repeated all our life or we were shown by others in our life. So that means that the opposite is true too, which means that if you have a reaction, that means you likely repeat it often, either to yourself or to others, and you can overcome that and put something better in its place. Yeah, and it's taken a lot of work because my example was my father, and my father was highly reactive. Yes. And he was very quick-tempered and... Not all the time, but a good portion of the time. So when something happened in a way that he was unhappy with, it was just, bam, that temper come out really, really fast. And it took, it took a lot. It's taken a lot of work to be very, very cognizant of that. And part of that, I think also is that because we often feel like if we have a good excuse for why we act a certain way, then it excuses that behavior. And, and so one of the things that stoicism has really helped me with a lot is to actually take responsibility for those things that I do that I, rather than coming up with an excuse for it and being, Oh, it was okay that I acted that way because of X, Y, or Z. I take responsibility for it, which that was the other thing I tried to do here was I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm acting out of line and I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be acting this way. And I apologize. And I hope that you have a nice day. I didn't say, oh, you, you screwed up. I can't believe you did this. And, you know, and, and because I did it, I could have used that as an excuse of why I'm allowed to be angry, but I didn't. I recognized that I needed to take responsibility for my behavior and the way that I was acting, what I was doing. And stoicism has really helped me with that. Like I said, because I used to always have excuses. If I had a good excuse, a good rationalization for it, I, then I was, I was totally justified. And that's our ego talking because what it does is it makes it so that we we feel okay with our behavior. We justify our behavior. And I think the more that we can look at those things and take responsibility for them, then we can, it makes it much easier to improve our behavior. Because if we're actually taking responsibility for it, we want to be sure that we don't continue that behavior. We want to show that we don't repeat that behavior. Yes. And so when we actually step up and take responsibility and say, yep, I, I did that. I don't like that I did that, but I did that because it's, it's reality. It's what actually happened. So, you know, in this case, yeah, I got heated. I got, I got to start a little bit, get a little bit angry and I took responsibility for that. I got angry and that wasn't very cool of me and I don't want to be that kind of person. So I own that responsibility. I own that, or I, I own that behavior and I'm responsible for my behavior. And so it helps to, it helps to take that away from our egos because we're not trying to soothe our egos and say, oh, I'm okay. I was justified in being upset. Yeah, you know, absolutely, sure. Eric. Beautiful, beautifully said there. And if you look at both of our stories there, right? Something negative happens. And everyone has a different definition of negative, right? 
both of these situations could be considered negative across the board. And then we looked at it and said, okay, what's the lesson in this? That's the positive side of it. Because it doesn't remove the fact that you still had to go somewhere else and spend more time and energy and do that. It doesn't take away the fact that I have to now deal with this issue. We don't know the damages inside. It doesn't take away any of that. It's not about negating the negatives. It's about not focusing on them, which is what you emphasize so beautifully here as well. Because we, I guess because of culture and how we learned in school, but also our human physiology and evolution, we are prone to focusing on the negative. You and I talked about the negativity bias, which is the idea that anything negative makes it to your brain, to your conscious mind a lot quicker, either from your memories or from what happens in the environment, because it was a defense mechanism as we evolved to keep you alive. So you knew about all of this, which is something that we have to work against. That's why it's so hard to actually get a hold of it. And then once you become aware of that, then the next part is you have a choice. Do you want to do something about it because you have the knowledge or do you continue to be the way you are? And I don't believe there's a wrong or a right answer. Some people choose to continue even though they know better. And some say like you and I in this case is like, you know what? We know better. Let's take an action. And the action is to, well, feel our feelings because we both, you know, I, I was angry as well in the moment. I felt those feelings, but then I chose to let them go, let go of the negative thoughts and move on to the lesson piece. It's like, it happens for me. What's the purpose and the reason it happened? In your case, I'll give you like my two cents. It may have happened to teach you, not to teach you, to reinforce the lesson you just knew you learned, but how can you learn something if you don't practice it over and over? So if this keeps showing up in your life, it's not that the universe doesn't like you. It's like, well, let's get you better at dealing with the situation. So in your case, Eric, it could be like, well, you might not even have the outburst. It's going to get to a point where it could be like, you'll be frustrated. You might let my vent when you get back to the car or in a private space, be like, okay, you know, that's unfortunate. What can we do about it? Yeah. Right. So that, that's, that's beautiful to see. So do you think that most people fall into a negativity trap like that or fall into things being negative because they assume that these things shouldn't happen to them as if life should be great all the time. And so when bad things happen, they feel like, like the universe is out to get them, if you will. That's a great question. I love the question. Eric. And I would say a few people might be like that, right? Because uh, I can only give myself an example because I know myself really well. I've been like that at many times in my life because I'll be like, I have a good stretch and then something negative happens like this. I'm like, but I've been doing everything right. Why, why is this negative thing happening? Like, why is this being thrown my way? Why is this happening to me? Why, you know, like, and we get into that. And some people, unfortunately, have lives that are a bit tougher and then negative things keep piling up. But here's what I've come to realize. That once you get yourself into a negative state, you're much more likely to attract more negativity into your life. Because if you can't appreciate the positives, then why would those be reflected back to you? Because if you look at just from a psychology point of view, or from a physiology point of view, or anything that's, let's say, science-based more, right? Look, look at what happens. You and I both know the example. I think we talked about this. If you think about a red car, because you want to buy a red car, when you go out on the street, that's all you're going to see. You're going to see a red car here, a red car here, a red car there. And that's the power of your focus. Where you put your focus, that's where your subconscious mind will, and with your conscious mind, will try to make that a reality for you. So if you focus on the negativity and say, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe life is so unfair. I can't believe this, this, and that. You're telling your brain to bring more of that because that's what you're asking, that's what you're talking about. But if you focus on the positive, that's more of what's going to come back into your life. 
So to answer your question, it's in a long way. It's like, that, that's part of it for sure. I have seen it show up in many different ways, right? People have had bad luck their entire life. And then that keeps building up because that's all they can focus on. Other people have been mistreated and they take the mistreatment as a reflection on who they are versus on who the person doing the mistreatment was. And that was me earlier in my life because I was bullied and then I became the bully a bit. And I'm like, it was never about me to begin with, about what the person was going through. And then when I was a bully to, let's say, my younger brother for, for a few months before I learned better, it was also because of what I was going through. It was nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do find. Yeah, and I do find that though that often that when people do get stuck in that negativity, that it seems like their life continues to be negative. And I don't know if it's that they necessarily have more negative things actually happening, or if it's just that they draw attention to those negative things far more than your average person does. So great, great point. And I can see, I can say it's both because there was there were studies and there's research paper coming up on this, but. I'll tell you a couple that fascinated me. So there, I don't know which part in the States, there is this beautiful road in the middle of nowhere, simple road, and it has like telephone poles every 100 or so yards or meters and no trees or anything else. And then there was this stretch of road where there were a lot of accidents. And like 80% of accidents, the people that essentially just on, the, on their own, they were hitting the telephone pole. But there's like 100 yards between them. So like they were wondering, like, how can you hit a telephone pole when like literally you have so much space to like just not hit anything? And what they've realized is that the people that got in those accidents, they would be like, you know, the car would swerve and they'd be like, oh, don't hit the pole, don't hit the pole. All your mind gets there is like pole, pole, pole. And then that's the direction you're going to go into. Yeah. And if you think about that, like take an abstract back and say, okay, how do I apply that in our life? If your focus is on the negative, oh, I hope I'm not going to catch all the red lights on my way to work. I hope my manager is not going to be pissed off at me today. Like all those negative focuses that we have, well, that's what you're asking your mind to bring into your existence. We're not talking about spiritual stuff here. We're talking about Mm -hmm. how our body works. And obviously, if you take the spiritual side, that's how manifestation and law of attraction technically works because you put your focus on something and that's what you attract into your life. And... That's what I see like your, to your question. You know, some people will technically have more negative stuff happen because their focus is so much in the negativity that that's all they can see. Because I'm not sure about you, but I have friends in my life that essentially I go to any party, I go to any gathering. All they can talk about is, oh, this bad thing happened to me and this bad thing happened to me and this happened to my mom and this happened to my father. And you're like, wow, that person must have a really unlucky life. And then yep. you realize, wait a second. Maybe it's not that. Because you know what? I've also had a lot of these things happen in my life, but I chose to focus on the positives. And then there were less of those things happening in my life. Huh. I wonder if there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that that very much happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of back what you said about the telephone poles. Uh, so I actually got my motorcycle license a number of years ago. And mostly because I'm terrified of riding motorcycles. And so I was like, okay, I want to... I wanna, I want to do this to get over that fear. Um, but what I found, what was interesting is they teach you in, in this, like if you're riding on your motorcycle and you see a pothole, you focus on away from the pothole. You don't focus on it. You focus where you want to go because where you're, 
is like where your focus goes, that's where you go. And so yeah. that is one of the things that they, they specifically teach, you know, especially on a motorcycle because you, you're carrying in a car, it's, you can turn a lot quicker and with the motorcycle, so much of it is momentum so that you stay upright. So you can't turn nearly as fast. Otherwise you lay the bike down. And so it's like, look where you want to go. And that was really a very important lesson like that. And I think, yeah. So basically that's, you, that's you hit it right on. Yeah. So people will, when they're sliding off the road, don't hit the telephone pole, don't hit the telephone pole, bam. Well, there was another study. I don't remember where this was in Europe somewhere where they took a class of kids and they told them to run around the class, but avoid hitting any other kids. And then they took another class and they told them, just run around the class, have fun, do whatever you want. Well, which group do you think had the most collisions? Probably the, the, first, the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. People are like, Oh, I want, I want to make sure I don't hit this, this, like you said, your focus is on like, what to avoid, and then that's what's going to come into your life. It, it, it reminds me of school sometimes, right? I I was an A-plus student up to the university. Then I didn't care as much for school. I still graduated with a math degree. I still did well. But I remember when I was going in and I was afraid of, ah, I, I cannot fail this test. I don't want to fail this. Let it not be these, this, and these negative questions. And then they would be on the test. I'd be like... Did I manifest that? What happened? Looking back now, right? Like, oh, no, I was just focusing on the negatives, right? And I, I couldn't allow yeah. anything else to show up in my life. Exactly. Okay. So we had talked earlier about kind of making the theme about this of, of finding your path. Yes. What advice or what are some experiences you want to share along that? Because I know that your podcast is about Unleash Thyself, which is very much driven with helping others find their path. So for you, what... I guess, what are the top three things that you can put out there that you find are the most helpful for people trying to figure out their path and 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 to head the direction of, that their life should go or that they yeah. want their life to go? I love the question, Eric. And um, the way I look at it right now is I looked at how I've done mine. And I did a lot of research, I did a lot of studies. It took me months to, to uncover it. Now the process, I've streamlined it. And it came down to like three big categories, really which is the uncovering what it is that your why is, your purpose, doing a quick inventory where it shows up in your life. And then for most of us, it doesn't show up much. Uh, for me, it was like less than 10%, meaning that pretty much one in 10 actions I was taking was not driven by this why, by this purpose, which meant that, of course, I wasn't really happy because that's my why in the end is what drives that happiness, joy, fulfillment, abundance, all of it. And then once you have the team inventory, taking action, because we talked all, all after all during this entire interview and conversation about the importance of action and putting your focus on something, right? But you cannot do the last two steps unless you do the first one. So the first one, let's break it down a bit. The way I see it when it comes to uncovering your why, your purpose, it starts with who you are after the day, meaning that what I do with my clients and what I do myself as well is I look back at stories of my life. I, I would tell you, hey, if you came to do this with me, it's like, hey, Eric, bring 10 stories. Don't think too much about them. Think about stories that are important to you. Maybe the first time you got your first job, maybe summer camp when you were 12 and some cool stuff happened. Maybe, uh, uh, you know, the incident you had at, uh, with the vaccine, right? And the flu shot. That could be a good story. And the idea is that then you have someone else, a coach, a mentor, a, a, a friend that doesn't even know you intimately to really influence you too, too negatively. You, you tell the story 
And as you go through the story, you allow the other person to ask you questions, not why questions. Why did you do this, Eric? But more around what questions and how questions. So try to get the feelings. So try to get the bottom of it and showing who Eric actually is or who this person actually is. And what you will see come up from it is actually phenomenal. For me, when I do this with my clients, it takes about three hours to go through 10, 10, 10 stories because you want to go deep. You'll see patterns form up. And most people will have anywhere between three to seven different patterns that form up. And that will lead you to seeing which one shows up more in these stories because you'll have stories that have nothing to do with each other. In fact, some are five years apart, decades apart. One is a school, one is a family. And all of a sudden you see, well, there's a pattern there, there's a pattern here. So that might mean that that's more who I am. And from there, you start to work with the person um, that was helping you do this, facilitate, you find out honing on a statement. Like for me, my statement that I came to, and by the way, this is always evolving because you evolve as a person. But my right now is, so actually, before I even share mine, there's two pieces to it, is what you do and the impact you have with what you do, essentially. So mine is to inspire, empower, guide, and support individuals. So that's what I do. So that they, so they too, can find joy, fulfillment, success, abundance in life, and their world becomes a better place, right? So that's the impact I'm having on their life specifically. So once I found my why, there's a second element to it. So that's the first part, right? The the biggest theme is usually your why. And the idea here is you don't want to be spending too much time on the words. It's whatever sounds well for you, right? Mine, that's what sounded good to me. To you, it might sound different if that's your theme as well. But keep in mind, that's very generic, right? You could take that, Eric. Someone else can take it. And it's it doesn't really tell you how you're going to do it, what type of um, work you're going to do to fulfill that. You then go to the next part, which is the how. So the other themes, because as I mentioned, there's like usually three to nine themes coming up. The other ones usually become your how. Like how you're going to actually execute on this. So if I'm talking about inspiring, that's one of the things I want to do. It's not that, oh, I'm going to do a podcast. That's the what. The how is what actions do you take on a daily basis or want to, or rather are taking on a regular basis to execute on your why. All right, so maybe it's the way you talk. Maybe it's the way you listen. Maybe it's the way you reach out to people. It, it could be a million different things. And you find those themes. It could be anywhere from three to five themes from what I have seen. So three hows. And now what do you have? You have a why, you have a how, or multiple hows. And the, the last piece is how do you actually, or the what rather, which is what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Meaning, how does it show up in your personal life? How does it show up in your professional life? So for me, it was, oh, okay. The One of the what's is the podcast. A second one is social media posts. A third one is how I show up in my personal life. A fourth one is how I show up in my coaching and mentorship practice the fifth one is how i show up in my corporate life right those are can, all what how i execute on my on my why and my house can you explain the house a little bit more i'm I'm not, I'm not quite catching that so yes your house are essentially your strengths what are you great at and how does it match with your why because it's part of your themes now this is a big one for me was that this is not necessarily how you want to be but rather how you show up because we looked at little stories from your past. So how did you show up in those, in those stories? So how you actually behave. It's from the themes we discussed. Now, let me give you an example. Um, 
and I have I have a few here that we can go into. So let's say a theme comes up that you have that you know you are optimistic, right? I'm someone that's always optimistic. That's one of mine, right? What does optimistic mean? Optimistic means that you're someone that always looks at the glass half full versus half empty. You're someone that always looks at the positive versus the negative. And there's other definitions you can use. Okay. Now, that's one of my hows, but it's not really a stable now, is it? So you want to actually look at it and, and go a bit deeper into it. So looking at my notes here, where's my optimistic one? It's about finding the positive in everything. So what does it mean? That I make a statement that says, okay, I'm optimistic. How do people see me? Well, I find the positive in everything. When something is wrong, I look for what's right. That's actually part of mine. Okay. So what does it mean? So now when I have an interaction with you, or like this, what happened this past weekend, right? Or I have an interaction at work. A project might be derailed, might be not going well. I could become pessimistic. Oh, we're going to lose this contract or this is not going to happen well. I could look and say, you know, I acknowledge that there's negatives, but what's right? What's going well? What's positive in this? Why is this happening for me? It's kind of the same thing we were discussing earlier, right? The Another one that I, I done with a, a client early, um, yeah, this was earlier uh, this month, They a theme for them that came up is that they uh, are someone that want to make others feel safe safe and secure okay right and well then the the how becomes the idea that you are making others feel safe secure and hurt so what do you do you extend trust to others this is breaking it down further right you let people know you have their back you allow them to know you're there to support them you make them aware of the fact that hey you're here for their benefit so if that's me, let's say that's one of my house, that means that every interaction I I come up with, it could potentially show up in that. I have a conversation with you and I say, hey, Eric, it doesn't matter you know, how this conversation go. I have your back. We'll get to the bottom of this. It could be a stranger on the street, right? And it, it's, it reframes it a bit. But So what you do then is you have your why, then you have your house, and then you look at, okay, so how, many, how, does, how does this house show up in my life? Am I making others feel safe, seen, and heard in my interactions? If that was mine, for example, and I look back at my life, I wasn't doing that. Let's yeah. look at the optimistic one because that's mine, so I can speak to it a bit more. So if it's about finding positive in everything, Eric, I was doing quite the opposite. I was exactly that person that we were talking about earlier. I could not find the positive in anything because, oh my God, this happened again, and this happened again. Now, mm-hmm. I don't... I'm exaggerating when I say anything, you know, like let's say 90, 10%, 90 negative, 10 positive. Yep. And here's someone, you know, American dream, beautiful home, cars, loving dogs, partner, family, great job. Yet I'm always miserable. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, when I found that and one that became that, wait a second, in my earlier years, I was able to find the positive in everything. I was always able to be optimistic. And that came up as a theme in my stories. Why did I unlearn that? Why did I stop doing it? Because you see, the idea of the stories that we look at is that they, it's not about what happened in the story in the sense of like, oh, this was the outcome. You got a job or you lost a big game. 
It's actually how you acted throughout it. So who you are actually shows up even if you don't realize it. Yeah. So a comment yeah. I have from a client of mine recently when we did herds, she was like, wow, I couldn't believe how much I actually learned about myself in the process of going through these stories because she thought she knew everything about the stories because they're her stories, not mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just about like when you go deeper, you realize, wow, the power of reflection and introspection. Does that yeah. make more sense? Yeah. And for, yes, absolutely. I think it's more of the, uh, yeah. So it's like the attributes or the process of, of the thing. It's um, the strengths. I call them the strengths. And this is what Simon Sinek because uh, a lot of this, some of, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of what we talked about comes from Simon Sinek as well. He talks about uh, finding your why or start with why rather. And then he has a book on working through it. And that one, parts of it came from that, parts came from my own personal experience and other books I've read. But it's really about understanding at the core who you are, what motivates you, what are your strengths, and doing more of that into your life. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah that was helpful. I'll give you another so, one that's, that's mine that maybe will ring more true for you or for the audience to, to connect here. So I told you my why. It's about inspiring, empowering, all that stuff. This one is growth mindset. That was a the theme that came up for me. Because you see, mm -hmm. growth mindset means that you're always willing and open to learn from every situation, to grow, to, to, to realize that, wait a second, what you know is not the end all be all. You have opportunity to grow. And now when I say growth mindset, that's not really a how, right? I have to convert it into a action. What do I do? And mine was like, I learn from everything and everyone. So that's my how. I learn from everything and everyone. What does it mean? That I am open to the ideas and points of views of others. Or everyone I interact with, it doesn't matter if it's the janitor in the office or the CEO of a company, they all have something to teach me. It doesn't matter if I'm driving to a friend's house or I'm having a party, there's something that I can learn from it, right? Or we have a podcast episode. And that, that was a big one for me when I realized that was the case. So what, does, what did it do to me? Well, you see, even though that there was something that I always did, it didn't mean that I was doing it all the time. I was doing it some percentage of the time. This allowed me to have clarity and now literally I approach every situation. This conversation with you, Eric, right now, it's like before I start, I have my own mantras and things I go through. And one of the things is I am open to learning new things. In fact, I can even read it from my mantra here, but if I can get it on my screen up, but essentially it's all about being open to learning, right? Learning and growing and growing. And that's, those are yeah. two of five I have, right? Some people have three, some people have four. I've seen some have six, but usually three to five is enough to put you on a path. And then your life can be guided a bit better. It's not about being rigid and saying, oh, this needs to happen because realistically you'll have things you need to do in your environment that you have no control over. So you can do all of these, but you can do some of it. Like yeah. in the example, like if let's say optimistic was yours, Eric, and you had a situation come up with your, vaccine and you knew that that's who you are not just who you want to be but who you are then you can approach the situation a bit differently yeah yeah and i think that optimism is definitely one that i try to incorporate better um i did I actually did a podcast episode a couple of months on that because because of the background that i have uh growing up in a very strict religion and a very dysfunctional family with a lot of trauma my 
my natural tendency as a kid was, was very optimistic. I was a very happy kid in many yeah. ways, so very, you know, joyous. And I remember that. I remember feeling like life is wonderful, except that my dad would, you know, lose his shit and, and smack us with his belt. But otherwise, life was full of a lot of joy for a lot of time. And then as I got older and got to be a teenager, it was much, it was much harder. Um, and I remember specifically making a choice when I was younger that I knew people who were truly happy. And I'm like, mm. if they can be happy, I can figure out how to be happy because I'm not happy. And I, I, I can tell that they're not faking it. I'm not, they're not walking around going, yeah, I'm so happy. Life is great. You know, but they, they honestly were just genuinely happy people. And because they came from good homes, they had good parents who loved them. Their families were strong and supportive. And so for me, I have always had a lifelong quest to get to that point. So because of that goal, I've had to actively choose optimism. And it's hard sometimes because my my history makes it so that I, I tend to want to be a little bit more on the downside and find that negative and worry about the thing. What's When's the other shoe going to drop and, and that type of situation or that type of outlook. And so I've actively tried to make sure that I don't do that or at least move towards a different direction. And oftentimes I do what I call nudging, which is the idea that if you wake up and you're in a bad mood or you're, you're having a tough time about something and you're upset, that I don't try to immediately change my mood. I don't go, ah, just, you know, try and try and will myself into a better mood because that's yeah. really challenging to do that. But it's just more of like taking a step back and kind of nudging my mood into a different direction. It's kind of like if you're on a boat, I mean, it's, it takes a lot of work to turn a boat around when you're sitting on, on a lake, but it doesn't take a lot of work just to nudge it the right way and keep it going and then slowly turn it the direction you want to go. And it's just micro and it's just like micro nudges. I mean, you can just micro thing and you know, yes, it takes a lot. It's a longer arc to get there. It's not as sudden, but it's much, much easier and it's a lot less effort. And it's the idea is I don't want to change my mood right now, but I want to make sure that my mood in an hour is a little bit better. And so you slowly kind of nudge it that way. And you think, okay, I can choose to be a little bit happier about this. I can choose to let go of this. I can choose to take a deep breath and let some of this out. I can choose to focus on something that's a little bit better, but it's not like an immediate, like, you know, flip a switch because that, that almost seems, uh, you know, sociopathic or something like, Oh, I can just turn my emotion <laughs> off and there we go. But well, yeah, that's that's funny you mentioned that because to some of those things it can be like that, but there is also a thing where you want to let your emotions happen and then feel your feelings and then be able to let them go. And you touched yeah. on something very important there, which is the power of knowing who you are. And you said you know you're someone that's optimistic. So let's say you go to the exercise, you find find your why, find those house of strengths. Well, that's the power of knowing who you are. Most of us go through our life without knowing who we really are below the surface, below all this negativity. So then at least you have the awareness. But can you imagine how you can navigate your life if you know this? Because you're living, you're living proof. You at least know some of it. And you choose the optimist side. Is it, it going to happen every time? Not yet. But through practice, you can get there. Because guess what? That negativity okay. that you're talking about, so the reverse of pessimism and when the, shoe, the other shoe is going to drop, that's also a learned behavior. So that means that you can unlearn it and bring something else. There's something called brain plasticity that some people may be familiar with, right, from psychology. And this is actually funny enough, from a science point of view, it's only fairly recent that they've realized that, wait a second, your brain 
not only can adapt to new situations, but can also change old patterns and beliefs and whatnot. Because in the past, they believed that once you're a certain age, that's it, it's game over. What you know, you know, and nothing changes. But now science is catching up and saying, you know what? No, you have the power. You have the power to change everything and anything about your situation. It's up to you. It takes a lot of work to do that, for sure. It does. And I think they... I guess for the interest of your uh, listeners... My, some of my listeners may, may have seen this already or not, but let's talk a bit about the, the process of interrupting thoughts, right? Because I feel that that's a powerful tool that people can use right now. And as I tell people in my life, as I tell my clients, as I tell people on shows, the feedback I get all the time is like, I can't believe this actually works and it works as fast as it does. And for that, Eric, let's preface with this. There are five stages, right? So you have the environment, which is anything outside of you. The cause is something within you. So like, let's take my example, my car, right? My car is my environment. Mm-hmm. The negative stuff happens. Then what's going to happen? A thought or a belief is going to pop into my mind. Ah, not this again. Why does this always happen to me? American cars are useless. You can name it. You can be, that's a belief, right? Or a thought, yeah. right? That could be in my mind. That's negative, right? That's going to then go to what? Emotions and feelings. I'm going to start to feel a certain way. Again, like that, why is it always me? the victim is going to come up. You allow yeah. that to happen, which is what we most of us do. Then your actions will get impacted. So the actions that night was, I'll drive to my friends. I'm going to have a good time. So there's a couple of things that happens. It impacts. In all me would be like, turn around, cancel the party. I disappoint my friends. I disappoint myself. I'm going to sit in misery. That's pretty bad action, right? And then from that action, a result comes. But what would the result be if I turned around and I sat in my misery and called people up? I mean, it's not going to be good at all, right? Probably not what I would want. So that means that in the process, there are five stages. Look at what we can control 100%. My actions, we try really hard, but really they're influenced by everything else. So they're not the, my actions. The, the, what we have in life is influenced by our actions, right? You can't really control your actions fully. You, can, you have some control. But if your feelings, your emotions are a certain way, then you can't really control that. Because I remember when I was depressed and suicidal, I wanted to get better. I wanted to do more, but I couldn't. I couldn't take the actions. I couldn't bring myself to. Nor could I touch my emotions and feelings. I mean, sometimes you can change it, right? Some external force can come in and can make you happy temporarily. For example, I always looked for escape in food, sex, gambling, gaming. It brought temporary satisfaction or buying a new shiny toy. But again, temporary. Then I'm going to jump the thoughts for a second. We go to the environment. What can you control in your environment? You have control over who you choose to hang out with, maybe what job you have, but a lot of stuff in your environment you have no control over. Like I'm going to jump in my car and drive. I have no idea what anyone else is going to do on the road. I'm at the mercy of anyone there as a quick example. So then it leaves us with the thoughts and beliefs, which we know from brain plasticity, we have a hundred percent control over. So that's what we should be focusing Yep. So let's talk about that really quick. But I'll pause to see if you have any questions or you want to add anything in there. No, that's exactly the same pattern that I that I follow and I use. So, um, And that's very much informed by stoicism because it talks yes. about really the main thing you can control is how you think about something. That the misery that you feel in a situation isn't the event itself, but your perspective on that event. It's how you think about it. So, yeah. So I find that to be very true. Um that if you can focus on how you think about something, not just, and I, and I think there's kind of multiple parts to that. I think that 
There are the things, the actual subject of your thoughts. So the stuff you're focusing on is very, very important. But there's also the perspective that you hold about those thoughts, kind of your attitude about those thoughts, if you want to, for lack of a better term, that if you always, you can look at the same, you can have two people looking at the exact same situation, the exact same facts. If one has a more positive outlook on it, they're going to describe it very differently than somebody who has a negative outlook on it, even though it can be the exact same situation. So your circumstances, your facts, everything can be the same. Their thoughts could be similar, but their attitude, I guess, would be the best way. Like their attitude and their thinking can be very important. And it's interesting for me when I find people who are extremely negative like that is just that they're, it's that perspective on everything. It's just that they have this dark filter over everything. And so anything that comes in when it could be taken as possibly positive, they find the negative in it. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, wow, here's a sunny day. Ah, but it's so hot out there. Well, I mean, okay. I mean, right. I mean, it was, like I said, the environment influences all of that. So if you grew up in a house like that, yeah, or some negative things happen to you in your childhood, then all of us have had negative stuff. Some traumas are deeper than others. Uh, that's going to shape up your life. So of course, you may have more negative thoughts for you that, like you said, ha- half of those may be positive to me. But yeah. for you, that will be negative, which will trigger the entire chain again. So that's beautiful. Absolutely. 100%. And for me, one of the things that was the biggest shift for me um, was about, I think it was about a year and a half, two years ago, um, I had a podcast episode that I had taken a break from the podcast and I came back and this was kind of my kickoff again for this last stretch for the last two years. And it was really important for me because what it was about was recognizing that in order to in order to be happy, I had to learn to acceptance. And the Stoics talk about that a lot. They have a term called amor fati, which means accept your fate, meaning accept everything that happens to you because it happens. And you can either love it or hate it. The universe doesn't care. It's still going to happen. So acceptance is a big part of that. And I had a situation where I, somebody that that I really cared about hurt me very deeply. And I was very, very angry. And I was just... I was absolutely furious at this person. And I recognized that the reason why I was so angry was because their opinion of me mattered so much to me that if they, you know, if, if whatever that opinion was, that influenced so heavily on how I thought of myself. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Why do I base my own self-esteem on somebody else? Because then it's not self-esteem, it's other esteem. They're like this is this is really interesting. So I did a really deep dive into this whole thought and this whole area because I was like, how do I take that back? How do I take back my self worth, my self esteem, because I've outsourced it, I've outsourced it to somebody else, and it was making me incredibly miserable because anytime this person would be upset with me, yeah. I thought I was a horrible person and. So I, I did a lot of reading on different things. I, I studied some Jung and some Freud, you know, thinking about maybe identity and roles in life and, you know, just trying to, trying to figure out how I could take this thing back and why, why it was this way anyway. And what I, what I realized was that my opinion of myself was so bad that I needed that validation from somebody else yes. that I thought I was not a very good person. And so if, 
I needed somebody to tell me and reassure me that I wasn't a bad person. And obviously somebody, you can't outsource that to somebody else because sometimes they're going to be mad at you. They're going to be frustrated with you. They're going to be annoyed with you. And so I was like, okay, well, what is it about myself that is so awful that I have to be validated by somebody else? What is so bad? What is it that I, that is terrible about me that I think I'm such an awful person? And I was like, I really don't know. And so I sat down and I wrote a list of all the things I didn't like about myself. And it's funny because I'll tell that to some people and they'll be like, what? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you write down all the nice things about you? And I'm like, no, if I'm going to practice self-acceptance, I need to go down there and figure out what are all the crappy things about me. And I went through this list and I, I realized that they kind of fell into two categories. And there were the things that I truly didn't like about myself, that the attributes and things that I just, I thought were, weren't great, you know, that I could be a bit selfish at times, you know, but the other things fell into things that I thought other people didn't like about me. Mm. So they weren't even things that I didn't like about me. These were projections that I was putting on other people. Now they're important because that often tells you when you're projecting these things onto other people, that that's really how you feel about yourself. Exactly. But I had to, but some of those I could look at and go, oh, okay, that's just an insecurity. I can, that's something I can dismiss. But by going through that exercise of just writing down everything that I didn't like about myself or that I thought was awful about myself, I realized that most of those things, that all of those things were things that were completely acceptable. They were problems that everybody else had. They were problems that, that weren't really that far out there. And I was not as awful as I thought I was. And that for me was a giant pivot point in my life where I went, okay, I can just, I don't have to love everything about myself, but I can at least accept everything about myself. I can accept that I can be selfish sometimes. I can accept that, that I get annoyed and frustrated at people. I can get, I can accept that I lose my temper at times and that I get a bit overheated and that I'll start yelling because I'm just so frustrated. I can accept those things. Do I like them? No, but they're part of me. So I'm just accepting reality. And from that point on, it made it a lot easier to work on my thinking and those kind of things because I could take responsibility for my selfish thoughts. I could take responsibility for my angry thoughts. I could take responsibility for all of those things that our egos like to push off and go, oh, you're, you're not a bad person. You're, it tries to protect us from that. But if you can recognize, yeah, I can be selfish sometimes. Okay. When you do something selfish, you can go up to it and go, yeah, I was being selfish there. I can be angry sometimes. I can be jealous. I can be all of these things. If you own that, then it's much easier to take responsibility and accept that. So it's easier to actually deal with that. You're like, wow, I was kind of, whew, I was being really self-centered here. And I was being kind of a jerk to mom that day or, or whoever. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't acting the best that I could have, but you can own that a lot better. Yeah, and that allows good. you to deal with those thoughts much, much better. So for me, that's, that self-awareness was a really big turning point in my life. Ah, oh, thank you for sharing that uh, powerful, vulnerable story. I couldn't agree more. And as you were sharing that, you you came up to, with two things. Like you said, self-awareness and acceptance. And it's funny when we, I talk about integrating your why into your life, I use a framework I came up with. And awareness and acceptance are the first step. If you cannot do that, there's no way you can go yes. to implement anything else. 
Because now look at what you did. Let's say you discover that you could be a bit selfish. Let's take that one as an example. And selfish has a negative connotation in life, but really it's not because is it selfish for me to take some of my money and invest it in myself, give myself a coach, give myself a course? Some people will see it as selfish because I could be giving the money to someone else. I could be buying my partner something. It's it's selfish because it's for you. So there's a definition there. But now at least, what do you have? Awareness. So you can make a choice and say, well, do I agree with this part of me? You can say, you know what? It's not that bad. You accepted it. You healed it. You allow it to keep. But if you say no, then guess what? You have the power to change. And say, you know what? I'm going to keep an eye out for this. When it comes up, I will interrupt this thought, this belief, replace it with something else. And maybe in six months, maybe in three weeks, maybe in a year, I won't be selfish anymore. Or whatever the negative aspect of yourself you want to change. And that's, I believe, the biggest power that essentially you're talking about because that allowed you to now be on this path where you now have choice. But before you may have felt like you didn't have choice because like you, and the example you use is so powerful because I was also seeking validation externally because I was feeling so bad about myself internally without realizing, beating myself up, that I was just looking externally for all the validation. And what does external validation do? Like it feels great in the moment, right? It makes you feel so good. But it doesn't stick because you don't have self-validation. Yeah. If you don't have self-validation, then it doesn't matter. Like I could think that you're the most amazing human being on this planet, Eric. And that's going to stroke your ego. That's going to make you feel good. But if you don't have the same feeling, tomorrow you'll forget. And I do something that maybe you interpret as me not being happy with you. And like you said, then you go down the spiral where like, oh, you know, but why does Constantine not like me anymore? What, what What's going on? And I've been there myself so many times. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how, how much we twist and turn and try to become something that we're not because we want that external validation. And I noticed that for me, a lot of that, that, that unwillingness to look at myself and to look at the things I didn't like about myself for so long was because I wanted to believe that I was a good person. And so I thought that if I looked at these things, it would show me that I was wrong. And so, and so there was an unwillingness to look at that. And, and when I would do things that I wasn't necessarily happy about, or I would do things that were not in line with who I thought I should be, I could come up with all kinds of rationalizations internally about why I did that thing. Oh, well, you know, she really upset me. And so she deserved for me to yell at her, all of these things. And we, we rationalize these things to ourselves because we don't want to believe that we're not a good person. So everybody thinks, I mean, I think most people think they're a pretty good person, but they're afraid that they're not. And which is where a lot of insecurity comes from, which if somebody truly believes that they are a good person and that they are, and they are comfortable with themselves then anybody can say anything about them and they just, they can just be like, okay, that's your opinion about that. And okay. It doesn't, it doesn't have that much of an impact. It's, it's a way of just being able to, it's not even bulletproofing yourself. It's just because you recognize that who you are, your self image can't be moved by what other people think of you. Yes. And that is an incredibly powerful, a powerful place to be. And I've worked really hard to get there. And so like Sometimes I'll get negative comments on my, you know, Instagram or whatever like that. And it used to kind of set me off a little bit. And now it's just like, I look at it, I'm like, oh, okay. Hmm. Interesting opinion. 
you know, next, next, don't, yeah, next. It's like, I don't have time to deal with and, you know, to spend on that type of negativity. And it's really surprising to me because, you know, my podcast is about stoicism. It's about, you know, you taking control of your life and being responsible, being compassionate, being kind to other people. And so when I get people who throw trashy things on there, it's just like, are you, are you actually understanding stoicism? Plus you're wasting all of this time throwing this negative energy at me. Why? You know, it's like, you mentioned it really well earlier. It's like, it's a reflection of who we are inside, right? So that person yeah. might be going through something tough. They have a poor opinion of themselves and they take it out on others. And I know I speak from first-hand experience because I've been there myself in the past. Not necessarily yeah. comments on social media, but comments in relationships and in friendships and even work sometimes, right? Because you're so frustrated at yourself without realizing it. And because you have no awareness, right? That especially you don't have acceptance, it's hard to fix anything. Right? Yeah. And yeah. before we, we jump off of this topic or... Um, Let's let's go back for a second to the thoughts uh, to share this tool with people that they may find beneficial. And this is one okay. I mentioned to you that uh, I'm using it every day. I'm using it with my clients. My mentor is the one that taught me this. I'm using it in my professional life, my personal life. And I've shared it in my podcast as well. So it's like this. You have a thought come up. And because, like you were saying, Eric, you can become aware of these things. The first step is awareness. So you have a thought come up. Or a belief. It's about catching yourself and saying, oh, hmm, do I really believe that I'm a procrastinator or I'm stupid, I'm fat, whatever the case may be? You're like, you know what? That's not something I agree with. I want to interrupt the thought so it doesn't come up again or it doesn't turn into a much bigger problem than it impacts my emotions and then my actions and what I have. So what I do in that is simply the following. And before I, I share this, this, I will ask you a question. I know I asked you this question last week, but play along with me. Okay. Every human being has this scenario where they'll be working on something or they'll be doing something. And then they have a thought come up and they say, oh, I need to go pick up something from the kitchen. They get up, they physically remove themselves from what they were, maybe on the couch, maybe on the chair, and they go to the kitchen. And by the time they get there, they forget why they got there to begin with. I'm assuming that happens to you. Yeah, happens, happens to everyone. That's and the funny thing is, if you look from a physio physiological point of view, that's a natural reset that we have built into us as humans. So what happens essentially, because you physically removed yourself from a place, you interrupted whatever thought patterns you you were having. A vacuum got created called the scotoma, and like anything else in nature, when there is a vacuum, it has to get filled up, and it got filled up with different thoughts and beliefs so by the time okay. you got to where you wanted to go you forgot where you got there because there wasn't top of mind anymore now if that's automatic that means we can harness it and make it or put it on manual control so coming back i have a thought let's say i'm ugly let's use one that i used in the past okay that's a thought i don't agree with because i already became aware of this in the past i accepted the fact that you know that's not true i don't allow i don't want to entertain this thought or belief, really, because it's a belief. I then want to do the first step is do something physical. Remove yourself from whatever you're doing. If you're sitting down, just stand up. If you're in with a group of people and a thought comes up or you're in a meeting, excuse them and say, hey, I need to go use the washroom. My apologies, I'll be back in 30 seconds, a minute, whatever. You remove yourself. That creates a scatoma. 
Now, as soon as you do that, what I do is, and for those that are not watching, is essentially I'll be taking a deep breath while putting a big smile on my face. So I'll go. Big, big smile on my face. And I'll explain in a second what it does. And the next step to that is to celebrate. And you talked about this too. You celebrate that you caught yourself, that I caught the negative thought. So you're celebrating something that actually happened. You're not making stuff up. You're celebrating the fact that you caught yourself. And the way I do it is I hit my chest and I say, yes, Constantine, we caught it. While I have a big smile on my face because I just had a deep breath. And what am I doing with all of that? So the deep breath continues the reset, but it also brings in fresh oxygen into your body. The big smile moves you instantly into a state of happiness, even though you might go back to negativity in a few seconds. doesn't matter. It brings you there. Celebration also enhances the happiness. And guess what? It starts to release dopamine and other good feel hormones in your brain. And your brain is going to go like, hmm, what just happened? Why are we happy? And it's going to look to find clues. And and then the next step is to replace the thought with whatever, you know, it's like, oh, I'm not ugly, I'm beautiful. And here's the proof for it, right? So what you've done there is you interrupted the, the thought, brought in joy and happiness and all that with it and the good hormones and then replace it with a positive thought. You do this once, it's not going to have much of an effect other than pull you out of that potential negative scenario you're about to go in. But you do this multiple times, you start training yourself. There's exercises you can expand from here where you do it on purpose, where you start thinking about negative stuff on purpose and interrupt it. You're going to see that after a few days, after a few weeks, it's going to become more and more on autopilot to the point where the idea is that it's not like you're not going to have negative thoughts come up. We talked about that. They will come up because your environment is your environment. But you're going to train your brain to be like, nah, that's not what I want to entertain. I want to go through a good thought and belief and then that says a train and for me what has it done it allows me to literally when something bad happens yes i can see the negative side of it but i'm not going to spend hours and days and weeks in it it's going to be momentary and i'm like you know what i don't want to spend time there i go here yeah. and that's a strategy that i've seen work for pretty much everyone that's willing to try it I haven't seen it fail yet. Now, sample size, obviously, it's always a question, but I've seen 100 plus people use this within my own circle and from my mentor as well, and it's working. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. That's it's very much, it's it's a bit more intense than what I was talking about with my nudge, which is, you know, just like, hey, great enough, being yeah. aware of that. But basically, it's 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 a nudge. It's a it's just a short little exercise to interrupt that that pattern and, and just move it up in a much more positive light. So yeah, I can see how that would be very good. It can take a whole lot, 10 seconds. That's it, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to take a long time. Now, obviously, if you're at home, working from home, and you you have the luxury of taking a bit more time, sure you can, but there's no need for that, right? Yeah. You just interrupt every time it comes up. And I was talking to a nurse friend of mine the other weekend. We're having dinner, and she's having a harder time because it's winter here in Canada, the winter blues. She's from a warmer country. And she was talking, hey, it's like, what, what do you do? How can you overcome this? And I gave her the exercise. This was in the evening of our dinner. And then the next day she messages me because she was a skeptic before. She's like, you know what? I've tried it and it actually really works. I have no idea why, yeah. but it works. And, yeah. and I'm like, okay, try it yeah. and see. And I'm always yeah. of the opinion, don't take my word for it or don't take Eric's word for it or any expert in the world. Try it, do your own research. If it works for you, keep it. If it doesn't, toss it away. Now, of course, don't try it. You know, don't do it 
halfway there and then toss it out, try it maybe for a week. Because like I said, it takes you 10 seconds, 15 seconds, right? And it doesn't yeah. really do anything negative to you. Yeah. And then on the other side, how you mentioned that there's a, you know, how you often do negative visualization, the Stoics have a term for that. It's called premeditatio malorum, which means premeditated malice. And yeah. so it's, but yeah, it's the idea that um, if you, yes. if you put your in a safe space, you sit down and you think about what's the pers- worst things that can happen, then it makes it much easier to face those things because you've already faced them in your mind, which is incredibly powerful. And that's a tool that I've used. And I stumbled on it accidentally um, after my divorce back in 2006, where I was divorced. I was getting divorced. I was working for a, a startup and they bounced a whole bunch of my checks. And I reached a point where I basically had $17 to last me for a week. So it was really, really tough. I was riding my bike into work every day. I cycle a lot. So that was fine. So I didn't have to pay for gas. But I was just kind of panicking because I'm like, okay, what happens if I run out of money? And I went through this whole exercise of like, okay, well, if I wasn't able to get another job, I guess I could move back to Salt Lake, move in with my mom, or move back to Minnesota, move in with my mom for a bit. But then I wouldn't be able to see my kids for a while. That would really suck. But, you know, then I could look for jobs, you know. There were just all kinds of things that I went through of like, how would I handle that situation? And for me, it was really, really helpful because I was like, well, if I needed to, I could live in my car for a bit. You know, I mean, that wouldn't be fun, but I have a gym membership that I can go to the gym and I can, you know, I can take a shower there and, you know, I can do all the things that I need to do. I can go to work. Okay. Yeah, this, uh, I'll figure this out. But it really took that power of money away from me, that power of that fear of not having enough, it was just like, oh, well, it's just a, it's just a resource. And if I don't have enough of it, okay, I'll have to figure something out, but I can do this. But it, it changed my attitude towards money, which was helpful. And it took away a lot of fear because it was like, yeah, I could survive even if things got really, really crappy. They didn't get that crappy, but, but it was, it was just a thing that I kind of went through and I was in a way I was kind of forced because like I said, the company I was working for was bouncing some checks, found out later on that the president of the company had been, uh, embezzling money. So that's why they were bouncing checks because he was, he was basically pulling money from the coffers. And so, yeah, that turned into a whole messy scenario, but it's for me, it was, example. it was, it was a very powerful scenario. And I was really glad that happened at that time because it made it so that I was less worried about money overall in my life. And I was like, I can live on so much less. I can live off of little. I'll be able to, I'll be able to make things happen. And I've luckily I've never had to since then. And, uh, I'm doing okay as far as things go, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really powerful lesson for me. Exactly. And it's really what, if I understand you correctly, what you did in the scenario as well is essentially realize that nothing holds power over you. It's your perspective that does. It's your beliefs that do. So if you believe that if you don't get money now, you're going to be broken out on the street, you're going to have that because you're not allowing any other opportunities to show up in your life. What you did is realize, yeah, I mean, I'll always be okay. Yeah, it's not yeah. going to be ideal, but that's temporary. If if we allow it to be temporary, because what happens in the case, if you don't do what you did or other, because there's many other exercises one can do, you end up in a situation and then you're going to play the victim and not saying that you're not a victim, right? Because, you know, it could be the victim of something, but I'm saying playing it to yourself, meaning that you emphasize, overemphasize it and all of a sudden it becomes 
a chain effect where you can't pull yourself out of it. And that's what I was with my depression for the longest time. It's like until I really hit the rock bottom, I couldn't get out because even though certain things were bad, I was so overemphasizing them that I wasn't allowing the positivity to, to shine through. Yeah. Yeah. That can definitely happen. So I'm glad you were able to pull that out. So yeah, absolutely. And I, if I, funny enough, I had that reflection on that too, a while back now. And I'm like, with the knowledge I have now and the tools I have now, can I see myself ever get to a spot like that again? And I couldn't visualize, I couldn't see a scenario in which I would. Yeah. Not because I'm someone that cannot get depressed because I still have days when I'm not as happy or, you know, I still have some thoughts that are not the best in the terms of like, let's say depressive thoughts. Mm-hmm. But now I have tools where I can get to feel my emotions, which is the one something that I didn't know before, like you actually can feel your emotions and can feel your feelings. And then I have tools to pull myself out and say, well, once that happens, there's no point in wallowing in it. How do we change those thoughts and beliefs and move myself over? So that's why mm-hmm. one of my mentors says knowledge is power. Right, yep. And you hear people say, ah, you know, that's not great. It's not true because knowledge is, doesn't give you anything. And technically it's true because knowledge gives you a choice. So meaning yep. if I have the knowledge now, I still have a choice. Of, do I use the knowledge or do I actually decide to go against the knowledge? And that's a choice that anyone can make. And you know what's right and wrong. And we talked about that at length. Yep. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we're coming up on an hour, a little over an hour and a half here. Um, is there anything else that you want to bring up before we uh, close out this conversation? No, I think we touched on so many important points here, Eric. So I want to thank you for your time and energy and everything else that uh, we've shared, the space we've shared. I think I'm good. How about yourself? Yeah, this has been a really great conversation. I've enjoyed what we've talked on. So we're going to cross post this on each of our different yes. podcasts. So if you're listening to it on uh, Constantine's, uh, then you'll be able to find me at stoic.coffee. That's my website is yes, stoic.coffee and go ahead and give a shout out on yours. Yeah, absolutely. And if you guys are watching this on Eric's show, then you can find me at unleash thyself.com or you can find us on social media on YouTube at unleash thyself, me personally on LinkedIn under Constantine Bomarun. And we'll both have this in the show notes as well, respectively. But yeah, come check out uh, our work. I mean, Eric is doing a fantastic work for those listening on my show and definitely go check out his stuff. All right. All right. This has been a great conversation, Constantine. Likewise, Eric. Thank you so much. Thank you.